So in his book, 10 Who Changed the World, Dr. Daniel Aiken highlights the lives and work of 10 missionaries who poured out their hearts to join God in his, king, in his kingdom. There were men and women who were making sacrifices to see all the nations reached for Christ. He highlights the life of Lottie Moon, who was a bold woman of God who served as a missionary to China for 40 years. Her significance and legacy and contribution to missions is recognized by the SBC every year through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. He highlights Jim Elliott, who was a missionary to Ecuador. And while he was serving there, he was martyred there for his work for the gospel. And Jim Elliott gave us this quote about his own life that's really echoed throughout history and the church, and it is, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And these, among others, were some Dr. Aiken says, were 10 who literally changed the course of human history. The world was impacted because these people were a part of it. I don't know about you guys, but I read stories like that, and it inspires me. You read a book, and you read about how faithful they were to the work of Christ, and it makes me want to shut that book, sell all my stuff, and move across the world to make a difference for Jesus. But here's the reality. This isn't an option for all of us. We don't have to be foreign missionaries to make a difference for Jesus. We don't have to move across the world to make an impact for Jesus. Global missionaries aren't the only ones who can change the world for Christ. The world can be changed for Christ by stay-at-home moms. The world can be changed for Christ by students. It can be changed for Christ by nurses and engineers and even plumbers. If you're an electrician like me, you get that joke. Because really, making a difference for Christ in the world is not about where you live, it's how you live where you live. Let me say that again. To make a difference for Christ in the world is not about where you live, it's how you live where you live. Right? That we would go into our everyday lives with the mindset of a missionary. In Acts 17, we're going to get a blueprint for what it looks like to be an everyday missionary right from the lives of Paul and Silas. We get a blueprint on how to make an impact for Jesus in the world. We see in the text that these men that turned the world upside down. And hopefully this morning, our desire is to make Jesus non-ignorable, not just in severance, but it reverberates to the ends of the earth. Um, sadly enough, there are Christians that can live their whole lives, live among lost people all their lives, and never really make an impact. A couple weeks ago, we heard Chris talk about the heart of Jesus was for lost people, and that should be our heart as well. Look what Matthew wrote about in Matthew 18, 12 through 14. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. So we see right there that it's the will of the Father that not one of these lost sheep should perish. Therefore, that should be our hearts as well. There are many Christians today that could pack all their things and move to another country, and not many would know they left. 
fewer would know that there was a presence of the gospel of Jesus Christ that had left. I pray that that cannot be said about Calvary Severance. We can't go through this life and not have an impact for Jesus. We must have an impact for Jesus. The way we're going to make Jesus not ignorable is to live your everyday life with the mindset of a missionary. We've got the blueprint right here in Acts. And I said in the opening, there were three main points I hope that you could take from this. And the first was to share the gospel. And if you've been here the last few weeks with us as we've worked our way through Acts, we know that they're on their second missionary journey and were called by God to Macedonia. And they were obedient to God's call on their lives and they found themselves doing work in the city called Philippi. And while they're in Philippi, they're ministering the gospel and God begins to move and opens the heart of a woman named Lydia. She becomes a believer in Jesus Christ and the scriptures actually tell us in Acts 16, 15 that her household became believers as well. So they continue to minister in Philippi where we see Paul, through the name of Jesus Christ, free the slave girl, and eventually find themselves in prison. And God performs a miracle, and he frees the prisoners, and eventually that leads to a guard being saved, and now a church is born. And as they continue to travel down through Macedonia, they find themselves here in Acts 17. Let's look again at verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And so Thessalonica was a major port city on the coast of Macedonia, and it was a major trade city, and it was actually the capital city of Macedonia. And these men come here to preach the gospel and make disciples and to see churches started. What I love about their passion for the mission is that they continue to persist to make the name of Jesus Christ known in every city, even though as we see over and over and over again, they are opposed. And as we saw in Acts 16, there were some fruitful times in Macedonia, but it wasn't easy, right? It was fruitful, but it wasn't easy. They were opposed to the things they were preaching, yet they continued to be obedient. They were motivated for the glory of God, for the worship of our King to be spread to all nations. And as I was studying this passage, the thing that, that kept coming to mind for me was to help us to see and understand that Nothing about our blueprint, blueprint matters if we are not motivated by the glory of God in all places. If our hearts aren't burning to see Jesus worshipped in all the nations, then missional living isn't about our, our, is about our own glory, and not his. So these men go to Thessalonica, and they begin to share the gospel. And look in verse 2 and 3 when it says, And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. See, Paul had a rhythm and a pattern of how he did ministry. In every city he went, in, he went to, he headed straight to the synagogue, and he knew they would find Jews gathered there, so he would preach to them first, because he knew that they would have a knowledge of the law, and he could reason with them from there. And then he would make his way out to the Gentiles. That was his pattern. We see Paul say in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so that was his custom. You see it in Acts 13 in Antioch, in Acts 14 in Iconium. This is what Paul did. This was his game plan. 
And the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is for those that want to make a difference for Jesus in the world, what is your custom for evangelism? Do you have a plan of getting in people's lives and building relationships and sharing Jesus? Show of hands here. How many of you have had someone come up and say, I am a wretched, depraved sinner, and I would love for you to tell me about the goodness of God and my need for repentance? That doesn't happen? It doesn't happen to me either. So if we're going to share the gospel, we have to be the ones that are intentional. We have to be the ones who have a plan. So we have a, we have a vacation coming up next year, and I found myself really digging in, really trying to plan what this will look like. It's amazing to me how particular we will be about some things like that. Where are we going to get food on what day? What activities at what time? Where am I going to get coffee every morning? And here's the thing, church, if we're that intentional about our vacation, why would we shoot from the hip about the message of Jesus with people? Look what Scripture says in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Why wouldn't we have a custom and a plan? You know who has a plan? The enemy has a plan, right? The Jehovah's Witnesses have a plan. The Mormons, they have a plan. They're deceived, but they have a plan. Christian, what is your plan for sharing the gospel? Paul had a custom, custom and we would be wise to have one as well. And so we see in the text that it says that Paul reasoned with them for three Sabbath days. And this word reasoned, would suggest that there was a dialogue, right? When Paul got up to preach, it wasn't just a lecture. It was a back and forth where he was having a conversation about the things of Jesus. And when we share the gospel with people, when we have gospel encounters with people, evangelism is about conversation, not presentation. People don't come to faith by us just spewing everything we know on them about Jesus. They have to be able to wrestle with the things that we talk about. They have to be able to ask questions. They have to be able to have their assumptions jolted through dialogue. So Paul has this reasoning, and it says that he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. Now remember that Paul is speaking to a Jewish audience here, and in their mind, the Messiah would come to be a deliverer. He would be a conqueror, and he would take them out of their oppression and reign forever. And Paul takes this book, which is what we call the Old Testament, and he begins to connect the dots for them, all the way through Moses, through the law, through the prophets, and through the Psalms. And he says that this Messiah, yes, he will be your deliverer, but that deliverance would come through him dying. And he did that from the scriptures. Paul probably would have turned to a passage like Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5, that reads, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And then it continues in 8 through 10. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of living, 
stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Church, when we're sharing the gospel, we have to be able to take this book and talk to people about how necessary it is that Jesus died for their sin. And through conversation, people have to be able to come to grips with the foulness of their sin. We are so wretched that we cannot fix ourselves, that we cannot work our way to God, and that there are not enough good deeds or religious actions that can be performed to provide our forgiveness. That somebody had to die. And somebody had to rise, and that person was Jesus Christ. How many of us are equipped to do that this morning? How many of us here today have a plan to take this book, build a relationship with someone you don't know, start a friendship with them, and have a conversation with them about how much we need Jesus? Do you consistently approach your day with a biblical mindset? The scriptures tell us that we are to do so. Look at Colossians 3.2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And again in 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. We need to approach our days with a mind that is on the things of above. We must pray that God align our hearts with his that we also must act with that heart. Church, it does the kingdom of God no good for us to simply sit tight. Listen, you don't have to have an MDiv to talk to people about Jesus. Nowhere in scripture does it say that you have to have a degree to make an impact for Jesus. You just have to go where you go every single day on purpose. Are we equipped to do this? What does it look like? To me, it looks like you go wherever it is that you frequent and you build relationships. And that looks different for all of us, right? But you build a relationship with people, and then you have a set of three or four questions that you can ask, backed by answers that you have prepared based on your study of the scriptures. And that's the thing, church. We can't make Jesus not ignorable unless we know him. And the way we know him is through prayer and the study of the scriptures. Uh, Those of you that know the Larsons know their hearts for Jesus. And one of the questions that I like most that Jason will ask is, where do you go to church? It's a very simple question, um, but you can take that question and you can expand it to the gospel. Um, that That one question can spur a conversation about the depravity of man and our need for a savior, and ultimately the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Church, we must be prepared. 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 5 says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist, evangelist, 
fulfill your ministry. Church, if we're going to make a difference for Jesus, we have to share the gospel. That's number one. Number two is we must show the gospel. Look at verse four. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So it says some of them received, not just because of the message, but because of the way these guys lived. Look at five and six. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Church, what a beautiful description of the messengers of Jesus. These are people who literally turned the world as they knew it on its head because of how they lived. They didn't live like the others. They didn't think like the others. They didn't do anything like the others. They were different. These men didn't just proclaim the gospel. They lived the gospel. They drew a line in the proverbial sand of culture with their life, and they said, hey, we're from a different kingdom. And it was noticeable from the people who watched them live. This is how it should look for us. People should know we are not prisoners of this world based on how we live. Let's look at what the scriptures tell us about this in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Christian, we are called to live differently than the rest of the world. We are to show the work of Jesus Christ in all aspects of our lives, including the ones that are outside of this church. People should know you are different based on how you live your life. Let that sink in. If you left, would your community feel it? Look at what they're accused of in verse 7, and I love this. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Well, these men, they were noticeably aligned with Jesus, noticeably pledging their allegiance to Jesus, even over government. Is that a message that our culture needs to hear today? Where there's so much uproar and anger and hatred and division concerning American politics, do Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, need to hear that our king is Jesus, not the president, it doesn't matter who you voted for. Christians, your primary allegiance isn't to a donkey or an elephant, it's to a lamb. It's the lamb of God. This might ruffle a few feathers here this morning, and that's okay because we need to hear it. Many of us have married our politics with our faith, and it's stripped us of impact in the culture. You may not believe that, you may not like that, but it's true. These men were not Jerusalem first, they were not Rome first, they were Jesus first, which made them people first, and it was noticeable to the culture. 
So it's here, here's what it, this looks like. When we go to work, or we get on social media, and we just start bashing people and being mean and malicious to people because they vote differently than us. And then our next post is about how great the church service was this Sunday. That confuses people. Everybody good? Scripture says these men turned the world upside down because of the way they lived. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's shown in the way that we live the gospel. Look at this in 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Church, if we want to make Jesus not ignorable, we have to live differently than the world. We've got to live and show the gospel with our lives. And so in a culture where there is so much division over politics, when you choose to love people who vote differently than you, people see that and they notice something about Jesus. Young people, and those of you who are still single, when the world has lost its mind about sexuality, and you say, my body has been bought for a price, my body is not my own, I'm going to honor God with that, people see it, and they notice something about Jesus. When a family member or a coworker deliberately wrongs you, and you respond with grace and mercy and compassion, people see that, and they notice something about Jesus. When we meet Jesus, our life gets flipped and turned upside down, and if we live like we know him, it will make an impact on people around us. We have to share the gospel, and we have to show the gospel with our lives. And here is the third thing. We have to be able to trust God with the results. Notice in verses 8 through 10. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed, and when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So in Thessalonica, there weren't all these great, warm, fuzzy receptions. There was a hostile riot that came from the way that they lived and the way that they preached. They ran these men out of town, ran them out of Thessalonica. They find themselves escaping in the middle of the night, and they end up in Berea. Berea was a much, a much smaller town, a more obscure city. But notice that it says they get right back to their plan. They go into the synagogue and begin to preach, and notice the results in verse 11. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. These are the results that we desire when we share the gospel and show the gospel. We, des we desire for people to receive it, right? And Scripture says that we were more, they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, not because they were cut from a different cloth, not because they grew up in a different neighborhood, but because they had a spirit-empowered hunger for the things that they were talking about. Those are the results that God produces in a person's heart a desire to lean in and receive the things that we are saying. It says about them that with all eagerness, they receive the word. And in a heart where the gospel is becoming good news, when Jesus is a good aroma, there is a supernatural desire to receive the word of God. 
and even when it punches us in the gut. That's how we know that the results of the gospel are producing faith and repentance. When we eagerly come to the word and we say, Jesus, whatever you show me in this book about your design, I want that. Is that the result that the gospel is producing in your heart this morning? Sometimes the word comes to us and it cuts us, right? Sometimes the word comes to us and it turns our world upside down. But where the faith is in the gospel is really starting to be produced in a person's heart is when they say, Jesus, I want that. I may not know how to get there. I may, not, I may have to sacrifice something and lose something that is dear to me to get there, but I want that. The other thing that it says is that they searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. The way that we know how God is trying to turn our world upside down and how God is trying to change the direction of our lives is that we have to get into his book. We have to search it out for ourselves. We have to dive into it ourselves. We've got to mine it for ourselves. Because as we read the book, the book begins to read us. And we figure out how God is trying to move in our hearts and our lives. These Bereans were not okay with coming to synagogue once a week and hearing Paul's insights on his quiet time. And a lot of us do that. A lot of us come to church once a week, and that is the only time that we hear from the Lord, the preaching moment. And I'm not saying don't listen to the preaching, but what I am saying is don't just listen to the preaching. If you remember... About a year ago, Pastor Brett asked us a very important question during his sermon. Where are the Bereans? Does that have the same effect on you just now as it did on me? You have to, backstory, I wasn't here for that sermon. So I was listening on my headphones, and that happened, and I almost fell off the lift. Be a Berean. We have to have a habit, have a habit of getting into this book and measuring out the things we are saying and figure out what the scriptures are telling us. There are so many people whose lives are falling apart. They're in shambles. And you ask them, hey, what are you reading in scriptures? What is God doing in your life? And they have no answer. Church, let us not say that God is silent when our Bibles are closed. They search the scriptures. They eagerly receive the word of God. And look where it leads them in verse 12. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. It leads them to faith. Now, obviously, there are two very different results that happened in the lives of these missionaries in our chunk of scripture. They followed the blueprint in every city. They went and they shared the gospel. They showed the gospel with their lives, with varying results. And here's the thing that we have to understand. Every one of us who wants to make a difference for Jesus in our everyday lives, we can share the gospel, we can show the gospel, but we've got to leave the results to God. We do not have the ability, we do not have the power of life and death. We cannot change somebody's heart and mind and cause them to receive the things we are talking about. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession 
and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to, de to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. And when he asks this question, he says, who is sufficient for these things? Because we come up here and we, and we preach our guts out, and who is sufficient to change somebody's heart and mind? It's nobody but the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we will preach the gospel and people will hear it from us, and sometimes we will show the gospel with our lives, and it will be a stench in someone's nostrils. And that's okay. You and I, church, we've got to be more comfortable with offending people. The gospel is offensive. Not only are we saying you're a sinner, but we're also saying that you're not good enough to fix yourself. You have to turn to a savior, and the fact that you think that you can fix yourself is actually an expression of your own selfishness. That's offensive to human pride. But guys, as long as our message is what offends and not our personality that offends, we honor Christ. So some people stumble over it, but listen, some people are going to be drawn to it like the Bereans were. To some people, it's going to be like a mosquito to your skin. It's going to be the greatest news they've ever heard. Because of what Jesus has done, we can be forgiven. Because of how he's loved us, we can rest in his grace. To some people, that's good news. And all we have to do is not worry about how they respond, but lift up Jesus. If we'll share the gospel, if we'll show the gospel with our lives and trust God with the results, people will be impacted. We will make an impact for Jesus. The sun has a polarizing effect on things that it shines on. So the sun goes up and its rays beam down, and those rays hit clay, and the clay hardens. That same sun can be in the same sky putting out the same rays, and when it hits ice, the ice melts. Theologians used to use this analogy to describe people's varying results and varying responses to the gospel. Here's the thing about the sun. The sun doesn't need the help of the elements to do its thing. All we are responsible for is to lift up Jesus. Lift up the sun, the S-O-N, the Son of God. If we'll just lift him up, the scriptures say that he will draw all people unto himself. If you're here today and God is softening your heart for Jesus, please come talk to me or Brett or Jessen or Steve or Tim. Any one of us would love to have a conversation with you about that. Maybe you are here today and God has used this to open your eyes. I pray that you do not walk out of here ignoring it. If we will just lift him up, if we will just allow people to see that Jesus is fully God and that he came down as fully man so that we could be made right with God, if we will allow people to see his grace and his goodness, that he is a hope for our problems in life and that he is a peace for our trials, that he is a light in our darkness, if we'll just lift him up, he'll draw people to himself. If we want to make Jesus non-ignorable, we don't have to pack up and move across the world. If God is calling you to do that, be obedient. But we don't have to do it. If we will just go into our everyday lives and share the gospel with a plan, 
show the gospel with our obedience to scripture and trust God with the results, you will make an impact on the people around you. My prayer is for you to be used like that, to bring him glory in all the nations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just, I thank you for your word, God. Um, I thank you that we get to study your word, Lord, that we can, we can be Bereans, that we can dive into your word and you will show us what it is that you want us to see, Lord. Lord, as we, as we see Paul and Silas working their way through Macedonia, I pray that our hearts align with yours, God, that we search out lost people. God, that we have love for lost people because you have love for lost people. Lord, give us courage. Let us be bold. Let us understand that we are the ones that need to have a plan, that we are the ones that have to, to go out and act. Lord, I pray that we act in your name, God. Lord, I, I pray that with a humble heart, that um, I'm, I'm so thankful that you, you would choose us to do that for you, Lord. And I pray that we do it well. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.